I think that's the way it's going to go in manufacturing. We're going to modulize it enough where you're going to be an operator technician. If something breaks, the system's going to say, hey, change this out, do this, do that, and um, keep it moving. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76. Back in 1985, when Back to the Future hit the box office, Marty McFly was riding hoverboards and flying cars. Just a year later, here in the real world, my guest today, whose name also happens to be Marty, began a two-decade-long run with the U.S. Navy, where he also had the opportunity to see into the future. But for this, Marty, it was the technology in our Navy's weapons systems that showed him a glimpse of the future of manufacturing. Let me introduce him. Marty Groover is a partner in the Industry 4.0 practice of C5MI, a firm that, that optimizes operational execution through the creation of live supply chains. Marty leads functional and technical teams to solve manufacturing challenges by merging people, process, and technology. With more than two decades as a surface warfare officer in the U.S. Navy, Marty is a recognized thought leader in the SAP partner base and is known for his extensive insight in production planning, lean manufacturing, and ERP systems. Marty is the author of the recently published book, Speed of Advance, How the U.S. Navy's Convergence of People, Process, and Technology Can Help Your Business Win in the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Marty, welcome to the show. Hey, Joe, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this conversation since we talked last month for the first time. And I don't always have my guests tell their whole backstory, but yours is really relevant to this conversation and frankly, super interesting. So how about if we start there? Sure. So joined the Navy as an elusive person. So I was 21 years in the Navy, but I started working on a weapon system that was fully self-contained, one of the newer systems, a point defense system, and uh, worked my way up you know, as a technician, learning how to make the system work all the time, understanding, you know, how a condition-based monitor system works. And then I went officer after seven years. And my first tour as officer, I was the systems test officer on an Aegis cruiser. And it, it was a whole new world for me. I was responsible. I went from being responsible from one weapon system to everyone on the whole ship. I, I, I was basically the chief engineer for that weapon system. It's very complex. And it really sets a foundation for this book because um, the speed of air warfare got so fast, you know, in the Vietnam War and later that we needed new platforms, new air defense platforms that can manage, you know, the multiple uh, stream raids and things like that that was coming at us from our Cold War adversaries. So they, this was the first weapon system. There's actually a building up in New Jersey that um, you can see from the coast and it looks like a ship, but it's a building. They built the weapon systems first. They didn't even have a hull, and, they, and then they built the ship around the weapon system. The key thing was, in the past, humans had to integrate all the data from different sources, and they called it fusion plots. And in, in, in these old movies, if you've ever seen them, you know somebody sitting behind a whiteboard writing backwards, 
and they're actually putting where the contacts are and the humans are fusing that plot together. Well, the Aegis weapon system took all the data digitally from all the systems, the air warfare, the subsurface warfare, the surface warfare, helicopters, wherever the sensors were to pull that data in and created a fusion plot digitally called command display system. And it created the first two-way system that could do analytics on top of the data that was feeding it and actually drive actions and drive alerts by exception reporting and things like that. So in, at the time, I didn't realize how advanced that really was. And it created a common operational picture, one version of the truth that everybody that was on the ship in the warfighting mode, they call it combat information center, used all the same data. And we, it was all trusted and we all fed it. But what it, that system did is it took the man out of the loop. So for instance, running the Aegis radar, it was so complex that the human didn't make the decisions. It's all based on analytics and it would automatically re- allocate radar resources to contacts that had higher threat profiles based off algorithms, not the human. It was, it was an amazing system. And the human was a lot more productive because the human only managed the alerts that the system could not figure out. So the human was only used by exception where they were needed. And if we really got into a full blown air warfare and you know it was at the point where it's getting so dangerous we could put that system in full auto without any humans and i used to test it and people put their hands up i said put your hands up don't touch anything and it would automatically fire on weapons so fast forward i i, I call myself marty mcfly i kind of saw the future and the last job i did in the navy i used sap and i started learning the power of a of a transactional system that was live not batched and the data I had to pull out of it for repair ship. I had to do all the repairs on ships and technical services for 22 ships. And they had a lot of budget lines. And I started learning how to use that live data in the SAP system for analytics, for reporting, and to drive situational awareness. I retire in 2007. I get a job at Caterpillar. I'm like, yes, I'm going to a Fortune 100, you know, company. I love Caterpillar. What a history, you know, been, been one of the original uh, on the Dow forever, 100-year-old company. Couldn't be more excited. I go to one of their flagship legacy manufacturing facilities and I go back in time. I'm back working with AS400 green screen systems doing manufacturing. But the good news is I went back, I learned all the things that you need to do with manufacturing and I saw the opportunity to um, modernize things and use live data in manufacturing. Fast forward, I get put in charge of a factory. I'm a factory manager going live with SAP. So I'm back into SAP again. We took the, the live data, but I knew how to use it. Now I knew what I was talking about. I knew how to use the system. Went in the manufacturing world, had a facility that needed, you know, a lot of opportunity with that SAP system. We, we automated maintenance. We did a bunch of things with quality, basically turned that whole factory around using live data. All of a sudden I start thinking like, hey, this is really the way things need to go. This is what I had in the Navy. I need this live data all into one common operational picture. So lo and behold, if you complain about stuff in manufacturing enough, that puts you in charge of it. And they, you know, I was really, a, I was an advocate that SAP is the way Caterpillar is going to win. And uh, so they wanted to get some ops people up in the IT world to help manage that, those deployments. And they put me in charge of all SAP deployments globally for Caterpillar. So then I really started cutting my teeth on having facilities leverage that live data that you get from SAP, improve business outcomes. And we started these, we started a lighthouse facility for industry 4.0. We did real-time location tracking, predictive maintenance. We were tracking the forklifts. We did stuff with supply chain, digital manufacturing insights. We actually 
developed a new tool called Digital Manufacturing Cloud with SAP co-innovated to build this cop that we wanted so that we could look across all of our factories worldwide, even had a global map and see how am I doing today? Because just, and I know this, your, your audience is manufacturing. The hardest thing some days is I was supposed to make this many. How many did I actually make today live so I can understand? And if I can see it in the moment, I could solve that problem. If I find out a day later, at the end of the shift, a month later, I can't do anything about it. Now I'm just going to try to make adjustments and hope that it works. So we did that and we were very successful with these projects, really started seeing, you know, step improvements in uh, quality and velocity, uh, even in employee engagement. 2018 decided, hey, I want to do this for a living. I really enjoy it. This is where I want to go. And so we started C5MI then and we started this Industry 4.0 practice, digital supply chain and uh, asset management and you know you own your own business you know how hard it is when you start a business to keep it going you know after four years we're, we're continuing to grow we're scaling we have customers that love our products and we truly believe in it so that's really the genesis of this book i just had to write it because of what i saw and what i learned you know trying to converge people process and technology because as you and i both know you can't just put technology and it's not the silver bullet there has to be a strategy behind it. So I know it was a little long-winded, but it, hopefully it set the stage for what we're going to talk about. Yeah, I think it's it's really cool. I, I just love the way that you you took your background in the Navy and and were able to apply it in the manufacturing sector. It's also interesting how, how you, you kind of had to go back in time in order to kind of bring things back to the present. So re- really cool to see. It's sort of like being Doc when he comes back. Hey, Mark, you see <laughs> you're going to love it. Yes, that's the way I was at cat. I, I put in all sorts of new digital and on systems, just really cool stuff that uh, got people excited. That's great. Marty, you mentioned to me in a previous conversation that the manufacturing sector needs to pay close attention to what's happened in retail over the past decade or so. You said that you know, nobody's been able to keep up with Amazon, which is obvious, right? And even Walmart struggled. How does this relate to what's happening right now in manufacturing? So if you took the analogy that I, I provided about the speed of air warfare, we needed a step change. And really, when you look at the investments that the administration made in the 80s, we won the Cold War because we got so far ahead of our, of our adversaries, they couldn't spend enough to catch up with us. And they just quit. They just stopped putting money in. They let all their Cold War, you know, war fighting platforms go to rot and started over. You know, you see the Russians now kind of they've developed new things. They, they're the Russians, you know, USSR, the whole, that whole block. And in my mind, that's what I'm seeing with the speed of retail. When you look at how many retail companies have gone bankrupt in the last three years, why? They couldn't make the, inve- they didn't make the investments. They didn't continue to invest. Amazon just said, I don't care. I'm not going to make a profit. I'm just putting this money back in, back in, back in. They just kept investing in technology and driving and AWS. I mean, that's where AWS came from. And now that's one of the you know, the big profit centers for um, Amazon and they sell it to everybody because they had to, they had to have that. And so when I look at that, those um, those parallels, it's very important to understand that. And going forward in the fourth industrial revolution, the companies that think about the speed of retail and they think about their manufacturing that do invest, they're going to get ahead so far ahead of these other companies that there will be, there will be no catching up. You can spend, you couldn't spend enough money to catch up once somebody gets far enough ahead. Mm-hmm. Any examples you can give of where you see that happening? I know you mentioned Rivian specifically, the electric car manufacturer, right? Um, when we were talking. Yeah. 
I think that Rivian is very forward leaning. In fact, it's funny, just this week, my uh, CEO, he ordered his truck. I think when we first heard about it, he put his thousand dollars down. I want to say it was February or January of 2019. I rode in it this week. What an amazing vehicle. And I do believe, you know, there's a lot of people that, that are um, starting to get into the EV market, but I think Rivian has something and they're linked up with Amazon to do all the Amazon delivery vehicles and that skateboard technology that they have that plug and play and think about how modular that is. Now it doesn't matter what you put on top of the car because all you're doing is basically plugging it in and bolting it down. The base is the same, you know, across a lot of different models. It's really interesting uh, technology that they've developed going forward. And I'll tell you that vehicle drives really well, but they're also forward leaning in their manufacturing. And, you know, they put in advanced SAP systems and they are, they will be the premier manufacturer for automotive. I know it just because of the, the way they think about things, innovation and the way they want the, the culture they're building to be ahead. And, oh, by the way, if Mr. Bezos is your head benefactor, you better get ahead of it, right? You're not, he's not a, he's not one of those, he's a day one company. If you ever seen that, he's a day one company guy. So it's pretty interesting, the parallels. Marty, what would you what would you say to someone in manufacturing that's worried about industry 4.0 technology and how it's going to take jobs or how robots are going to take jobs from hardworking Americans? Tell us your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, I hear that a lot, and 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 people like to disparage it with that, but I don't believe that's the case right now. In fact, just a few weeks ago was the first time that we had more open jobs than unemployed people in this country. And if you look at the demographics around the world, Germany, China, they're, they're all falling off. China has this 2025 policy. They're all trying to get to this because they know what's going to happen. If we don't automate, there won't be enough people in manufacturing to service it. So I think what's going to happen is people are going to get upskilled. Uh, the technology is going to enable one person to do a lot more, but it's going to change the way we do things in manufacturing. You're not going to just, and just like war fighting, the, the technicians that work for me, they had to know how to operate the equipment, but also maintain it. And they yeah, couldn't have a group just maintaining it and a group operating. It was too complex. They had to know both. And I think that's the way it's going to go in manufacturing. We're going to modulize it enough where you're going to be an operator technician. If something breaks, the system's going to say, hey, change this out, do this, do that, and um, keep it moving. So I really see the, the integration of people in the process. And that's why I start in a book with people. First, understand how to keep the people that you have, how to train them, how to plan for disruption in your workforce, how to codify your processes so that the people can't disrupt your workforce and make them as productive as possible. And I firmly believe if you look at the current situation that we are in with inflation right now, the only way we're going to overcome the inflation is leverage these tools bring manufacturing back to continent of consumption is going to drive manufacturing and then distributed manufacturing based on the retail model. You're not going to have these monolithic um, factories anymore. Some areas you, you can't help it. There's th some things of scales like big foundries and things like that. But I think additive manufacturing and things like that are going to shift that curve a lot too. And I don't think that people are going to be well at the job. It's just going to be different jobs. Something I heard you say, Marty, that I think is so important is that we need to stop getting hung up on technology because we don't even know what the tech will be two years from now. Can you elaborate? Yeah, there's a lot of people that lead with technology. They want it. I want this technology. Or I want that technology. When we talk to our customers, the first thing I say is there's no silver bullets. And when you look at 
the technology of today. And we know uh, Moore's law, you know, you saw how fast during the Silicon age, Moore's law was how many new transistors that they could populate on a chip. And they kept saying, oh, we'll never be able to get to a billion, you know, transistors on a chip, but then it just keeps happening. Well, technology is that way with the, the 5G and the sensors and all of that. We don't even know in two years, there's so much, so many new things out there. It's hard to keep up with it. Even I'm in the business, it's hard to keep up with it. I just was at a, uh, a special operation forces uh, information um, conference this week you know, just supporting um, special operations forces. And me, I'm on technology. The stuff I saw at the conference, you know, not being at one for a couple of years was amazing. So I think if you lead with technology, you're going to limit yourself, create stovepipes. You have to think about what capability do I need? I need to be able to do this, this, and this. And this is what the DOD is starting to figure out. I'm not going to tell you, and this, and this is what I loved about it. We sat in a lot of meetings. I'm not going to tell you how to do it. I'm not going to give you the specs anymore, like the mill specs. I used to I'm going to say, here's a problem set I have. Here's the capability I need. Tech, they're going to let tech come in, give them solutions, and then, you know, is it solve the problem that I need and give me the capability? Then you figure out, you know, how do you future proof it? And then how do you make it modular enough? So you build a platform that can have technology come in and out of it and never ruin that cop or that common operational platform that you've got. It's wide open. It, you know, it's, it's, it's open architecture, it's cots, it's, you know, that type of system. And now you're flexible for the future. And then, and then as technology comes in, you weave it back in. But again, don't use the technology, don't pay for the technology, just to, for the technology, what capability you're solving, use a smaller hammer, and then you won't have these big technical deficits or, or um, you know, going forward, because when you look at some of this technology, the hangover that you can have and the depreciation and all this, you should use the least amount of technology you need to solve the immediate problem. So Marty, you mentioned your alter ego earlier in this conversation of Marty McFly from Back to the Future. Um, you've seen into the future in the past. What, as you look ahead into the future now, what's coming in the next five to 10 years in the manufacturing sector? Well, you know, it's funny. We were having some deep conversations last night. I think the inception of, of um, blockchain, uh, different materials, additive, additive manufacturing, delayed differentiation, and the distribution of supply chains, because we, we can't afford to have these long supply chains that can get and we're seeing what lumpy supply chains do to us and sometimes you don't feel it right away something's happening you don't even feel it now we're starting to feel it just look at you know they closed down that abbott um baby formula and i've got a granddaughter on the way and i've got one so baby formula is close to me right now and i started reading up on that and they closed that factory down over a year ago and now it's just starting to hit us we're starting to feel it so i think we're going to have to have smaller more nimble uh, factories that are distributed around our supply chain so that we have short leads because we all know the shorter our lead time is uh, you can be a lot more lean and you can be a lot more flexible and you have a lot less material sitting there the cost of that material sitting there is less all things good if you can shorten those supply chains and i, I think that's what we're going to see this technology is going to allow us you might have 10 factories that now you're you're looking at the way Amazon does. I mean, Amazon does available to promise through algorithms. You might have 10 factories and then you know their current loading. And when you do your production planning, the system's gonna automatically send it over here based on how far it is away from where it's gotta get shipped. Because ESG, let's face it, environmental uh, security and governance 
ESG is going to, and, and the SAP Sapphire this year, that was a big thing. And they're actually building metrics to measure your ESG. So this is coming along, along too. So I think the weaving of environmental stuff with the manufacturing is going to drive a totally different way of, of, like I said, cotton of consumption, wherever the consumption is, manufacturing is going to be very close and distributive, especially based off COVID to our experience with COVID. If I can run a factory with three or four people, I got a lot, a lot less problem than I got a thousand people every day, you know, going in there um, and interacting. Yeah. It seems like almost the perfect storm recently of just things that have happened in the world between all the supply chain issues and uh, what what we've learned from going through this pandemic, much of which is is closely tied, I, I suppose. Pair that with everything that's already has been happening technology wise, and you can see a different future on the horizon here in, in manufacturing. Absolutely, Marty. Is there anything you'd like to add to the conversation that I did not ask you about today? You know, I think you know just looking at the book and why the book's important. I want to make sure that everybody understands. First of all, speed of advance is a measurement. And when I was on a, a surface warfare officer, the ships don't just sit out in the ocean to look good or they're, they're going someplace, they're on a mission. And the key is that you got a plan when you're supposed to be there, a pinpoint time, and then you're always measuring yourself to that plan. And you've got to stay lean. When you're out in the middle of the ocean, there's not you know gas stations to go get fuel. So everything we do on a ship is about actual versus plan, being lean. And a lot of people wouldn't know this or believe it, but that speed of advance measurement is so critical. When I got into manufacturing, I started thinking like actual versus plan. I'm supposed to make this many parts today. If I don't make them, I just leaked. I just lost money. And when you look, there's bags of gold everywhere in our supply chains and manufacturing. That's when I, when I discuss about how are we going to get this inflation out? The labor arbitrage is almost over for long supply chains in China, manufacturing or stuff. And we're going to have to figure out how to bring it back and overcome the inflation that we're seeing by having things very close. So their supply chains are nimble and, and it doesn't cost as much to transport and it's lean that way. But to get there, you have to have a strategy. And this is where when I go to customers, they know they need to do something. The call to action is there. I mean, I don't think there's any denial, but how do we do it? What's our strategy? And if our strategy is to go out, have the CIO, best in breed, bring the best, if we throw the best in breed in on everything, whether it's, you know, HR, supply chain, CRM, all these best in breeds, we'll, we'll, we'll be the best in breed. No, you won't, because you're not thinking systematically. So it's more important, and this is what I talk to customers about, let's think about your people, let's think about your processes, because we know if we have bad processes and we digitize them, they're still bad processes, they're just digitized. And, and a lot of times suboptimized. That's why, like right now, another part of my book, multi-factor productivity since about 2011, they're saying that's we're stuck kind of at the end of the, the Silicon age or the, or the PC age industrial revolution. And we're getting less productive. Why? Because we got data everywhere. It's not information. It's not driving productivity. Productivity is actually going down. And this year, I mean, if you look at it, I put a post on LinkedIn about how bad it is productivity wise, because now people aren't coming to work and there's just a lot of, a lot of noise in the system. But if you understand how to converge people and codify your processes digitally to give you the capability you need, then the technologies together, when it is all harmonized and working together, you're winning. And, and you've got to have that strategy before you try to jump in and just, hey, let's put sensors on everything. That'll make, you know, that's industry 4.0. It's not. And, and those buzzwords will cost you money and, and it'll be heartache down the road trying to unwind 
the fur balls. And we saw this with data scientists a few years ago. Everybody, oh, we got to get a data hub. We got to get data scientists. And they threw a bunch of money at it. And they're like, well, where's the results? Because they, they didn't have a plan. They just thought that was the best buzzword. So I hope, you know, when people are looking at this book, I'm not teaching how to do industry 4.0, although I could write that book and at least my thoughts of it. But what I do want people to really think about is how to converge people, process, and technology first, build a strategy that makes sense, and then, and like I talk about in the book, start with pilots and then grow it, but always thinking about that end goal to have that common operational picture, single version of the truth, everybody trust, right? And it drives productivity because speed of advance, like measurements, start out with, did I make what I was supposed to make today? If not, Why? How do I drill down and then use sensors to tell me those things and automate things where I don't need a man in a loop? So I know that was probably a little long explanation, but I think it's critical to understand that and you'll be a lot more successful um, if you use that sort of methodology. Yeah, I think it's a great way to put a, put a wrap on it. I think that you see technology resistance coming from various places and and it's because people have the misperception that you're trying to replace, you know, you're trying to replace people, you're trying to replace whatever, but a lot of it is, you know, how do you empower people to be more efficient and effective? How do you, uh, you know, eliminate you know, less effective ways of, of doing things? It's not a, it's not a complete, you know, throwing out of all the, the, the principles that you've built your business on. It's figuring out how to use technology to take a step forward and do things you're doing better. Right. Yeah. Steve Jobs, when he stood in front of us and said, you know, in 2007, I couldn't live my life without this. But imagine, why can't we have what we have in our personal life? This is a platform. It drives productivity for me all day because I can mm -hmm. sit on an airplane wherever, do emails, do stuff I could never do before. That's a way to think about it, too, is how to have this in my manufacturing life. Yep. Love that. Well, Marty, great conversation today. I uh, really appreciate you doing this. Yeah, I appreciate it. And at our company, if you know, if anybody, if any of your um, listeners are interested, we can help build the roadmap. We can help build digital supply chains. We have basically our maturity curve goes from building your digital core. If you need to fix that, are you using the digital core right? And then how do you leverage these new tools to integrate and drive productivity? We do all that at C5MI. And then and I'll just ask you, if you read my book and you like it, give me a shout on Amazon, just like everybody else. We're all controlled by the algorithms. If you can give me a review, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, that's great. So um, Speed of Advance, you can find it on Amazon, I, I imagine, as well as anywhere else you, you buy a book. But um, I want to give you a chance to direct people to the right place to find your book, as well as your company and how to get in touch with you. Yep. www.c5mi.com. Pretty easy. Awesome. Well, Marty, once again, thanks for doing this. Great conversation. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks a lot, Joe. Appreciate it. You bet. And as for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.